Hey, yo. Say hello to this sweet guy. For it is another episode of the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. I am Sam, alongside Dan and Reardon, as we continue our journey through the wacky world of professional wrestling. Joining us this week, dear friend of ours and co- constant collaborator over at WrestleBuddy, it's Mr. Maddie Laws! Hello, everyone! Hello, guys. How are you guys doing today? I, smi- I smiled. I smiled at the intro, Sam. You're off the hook. Yes. You're off the hook. I <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'll Start take that. Strong. <laughs> I will take that. Oh, it's been um, it's been an insanely crazy week. Busy as well. Just life stuff yeah. and work stuff have been kind of in the way of everything, and seems like always seems like the case. But as soon as we hit December, it seems like everyone rushes to get stuff done before Christmas. <laughs> I mean, well, can, the- can we take a moment to just realize it's December already? Yeah, Not too I- long ago, <laughs> I was in uh, St. Louis for the Royal Rumble. This has been an insanely quick year. Yes, do you remember that? Do you remember St. Louis Royal Rumble this year and the WrestleMania side set on fire? <laughs> yeah, I was there. I was watching it drip from the sign. You ha- you have to think about it like this though, because someone was talking about like all the stuff that's happened like this year in regards to discourse and everything, and there was stuff I was seeing that I was like, "Man, that was this year." Yeah. It's like, yeah. Holy uh, shit. <laughs> Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan being a tag team was earlier this year. That yes. is still nuts. So she went from being a mammy to being a mummy. Hmm. Yeah, Only just, just, just two different people this time. In two very different ways. <laughs> so Rhea Ripley, as we're saying, is the wrestler of the year, just purely on that alone. <laughs> hey, glow up there. What, what, look, right, don't give anything away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we haven't done our end of year awards just yet. We haven't done that yet. Oh man, it's been a yeah. Like we'll get into it when we do our like year of end, like when we do the waggies. But really, when you do sit and think about it, it's, it's been a seismic year that we've that we've actually had this year. Yeah, because like you know, in between all the stuff with like Ring of Honor and debuts and releases and all of that, it's like holy shit. Like, <laughs> we went through so much. <laughs> and we got a final battle coming up next weekend. I can't believe that. I'm going to miss it because it's the one day I don't have off. Oh, God damn it. Oh. I've got I've got a wrestling show on that Sunday. I have a concert that Friday. The pay-per-view falls on Saturday, and I got to work that day. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> Oh. It's gonna be a fun weekend, though. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, it will. Um, so yes, we give you this podcast thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and forever pending other platforms. You know, forever guys. Pending. Yes, forever pending, because you know, guys, we may say hello to the bad guy, but we also say hello to other platforms because we are always pending and always always will be dang i was smiling as well god dang it really <laughs> <laughs> so before we get on to our episode all about scott hall 
it is time to visit Dan for this week's wrestling news. Wrestling news. <laughs> Let's jump into it. Uh, should we jump in with WWE? Yes. Why not? Yeah. Cool. Well, let's jump in with that. I'll be honest. The only main thing I know is that Tegan Knox returned, and good for her. Yes, I'm glad yes, to see that's it. That's pretty much the only thing I remember too. Same. War Games was War Games a was thing. was a thing. I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed... enjoyed it, but I did the live stream for it. So I I liked. I feel like the only match I kind of really liked out of it would have been was the men's War Games match. Honestly, I think I think at this point. The I, I was gonna say the war games formula, mm. but it's like I feel I feel like the like it's really cool to have war games. Yeah, but I I feel like they get into a realm of like oh okay well we've done it we've already done one match so we need to kind of one up everything. Yeah, mm. and it's kind of just like you know. There's only so much that you can do. Obviously, there's been a whole bunch of discourse around like, does war games need need like color? Mm. I think but... with that match in with the men's match in particular, I think that definitely gave us a, a no because I still think there was a lot of brutality mm. to it. I mean, it Kevin Owens slapping Roman was a big was a quite a brutal moment there. Yeah, didn't he rupture his eardrum there? He did. As a matter of fact, I think Roman Roman was a little miffed after said match. But you know what? Adults being adults, they talked it out, apologized, and moved on. It's a rare thing to see in professional wrestling nowadays. Things, Am things I right, like Phil? Happen. Am I right, Phil? Are you listening? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I do agree though. Like, not every war games match needs color. Like, yeah. it it'll it will fit where it needs to certain yeah. people will work it out but like you said with that bloodline versus the brutes mcintyre and owens there was no need for it because everything was said throughout the story oh but Sami Zayn being the most over person in the company i think it's all but confirmed yeah. at this point that Sami Zayn is probably wwe's best wrestler of this year and given the oh, yeah. fact with everything that's happened in the bloodline, he also faced Johnny Knoxville in unironically one of my favorite matches from this year's WrestleMania. Oh, I've already, I've already said it. Yeah. Genuinely, it was my, it was unironically my match of the night. Yeah, I mean, again, have we heard a louder pop this year than We Man appearing? <laughs> no, I, we haven't actually, and, that, I, that's, I, and that's going against Cody's <laughs> return. Like, yeah, the I'm night before. Equal. Like, oh my lord. I there you go. What, I don't care. I don't care what people say. It's on my list. <laughs> it's on my list. I genuinely like. It's. It definitely has. In terms of like WWE, it has been Sammy's year. Like, and I don't think even the oh, yeah. company really realized that until no, they, they started seeing. I, I, get, I, realizing. I genuinely get the feeling that they were just like, look, we need to give him something to do, so we'll put him here. Not realizing the fact that Sami Zayn is incredible at like just figuring out a situation this is the same guy that think once proclaimed think that about, think about all the stuff he's been able to do this yeah. year but like and uh it's nuts. oh sorry it's nuts this is the same guy that once proclaimed that he ate children 
There's, there's nothing that blows my mind. <laughs> but but Sam, are you feeling very oozy right now? The fact that he got the, I'm I'm sorry, but that just makes him the best wrestler in the world. The fact that he got everyone to corpse in. <laughs> when he said everyone. That. Even Solo Sokoa, he managed to corpse by saying that. Anyone who doubted the vision of Sami Zayn can be a convincing WWE champion. I want my money now. So oh, basically, yeah, no, as we've said... Sami Zayn. Mm. Sorry, Matty, go on. <laughs> oh, no. As, yeah, no. The, to, to Dan's point, Sami Zayn all around is your five-tool player. He's charismatic. He's amazing in the ring. He can tell a fantastic story. Uh, his comedic timing is on point with the best of them. It's just so great to see him finally getting his flowers. And with the rumor of them moving Elimination Chamber to Montreal and that supposedly being sold out, what do you guys think of that possibly? Maybe we see Sammy solidify a WrestleMania spot or win the big one there. As as I've said to, to these two, in a sub, like past episodes, I genuinely think now the person to defrain, defrone Roman is now down to three people instead of two. It's it's either Dwayne, Cody, or Sammy. It, it genuinely is at this point. <laughs> to be fair, though, I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, you know what? The the Cody versus Sammy match could be going crazy. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that that would be a heater. I can't lie. <laughs> That one will be that one will be outstanding. I feel that that, that will be that will be a match of the year contender. Mm. It's get... one of those ones I've said is a future prospect match for me, but I think given given the time, I'm just picturing a time in the future when like Sammy's near the end of his career, but we get a Braun Breaker versus Sami Zayn match. <laughs> the, the story God. there of Sammy because... running away from Braun would be amazing. Yes, because it, it, it's the closest I can get. To the possibility of Sami Zayn versus Scott Steiner, <laughs> and that's all we—that's all we've ever wanted. That's all we've ever wanted. When it, when you have the biological son of Scott Steiner versus Sami Zayn, you know what you're gonna get. Yeah. <laughs> like Sam, Sami has set himself as one of the, the greatest in that company right now, and it's so good that he's getting his flowers again. Elimination Chamber moved to Montreal. Hopefully, there's big there's big things there. It's going to be a good I think match. They should have done something. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's going to be a great match. I don't know if he's going to win it, honestly, because I think they're now at this point they are so so deep and invested into this San Martino esque reign they want for Roman that I don't know. I don't know. But crazier things have happened. Crazier so things have happened. Things I mean, Austin Theory's got... U.S. champion. Crazier things have happened. <laughs> so I can't. I can't because of the video they had when he entered last week. Yeah, dude turned up to the ring with the fucking Beyblade Titantron. I cannot. They stopped his music to play a Beyblade commercial. <laughs> that shows you the company have faith in you when they even need, they, I... they have to use Beyblade to get you over. So it was me, Nick, and we brought Tidy on for the live reaction to that. And when they had the Beyblade commercial pop up, I was like, "There's no way they did not just—they did not just do that during a title match." <laughs> and the guy went and fucking won the belt that night. 
What happened to the good old days of commentators plugging products? Now it's the, yeah, now no. it's just the wrestlers' entrances. Taz and Taz talking about the JVC Kaboom box. Listen, I, I can, listen. I I cannot, in good conscience, live in a world where where good old Jr. says full throated with all the gravitas he can muster. Let it rip. I can't. I can't. Yeah, well, I was going to say, where are the good old days of Taz at ringside on the commentary desk <sighs> playing Final Fantasy X2? This is what I mean. Yeah, I was we used Taz to be a society. <laughs> Taz was one of the all-time best shills for those. Yes. Listen, uh, listen. We are not going to. We used to build things in this country to that era. We're not doing it. I refuse. Basically, now I just want if they're going to keep if they're going to go double down on this. I just want Austin Fury's gimmick to be shilling person. So next week he's going to come down with tins of Chef Boyardee. Can I? Oh my God! Austin Fury's going to debut a new move where he just spins in the ring. <laughs> God. It's gonna be a spinning no. lariat, but he does like seven spins before it. It's gonna be called and wait, there's more. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, the let, it, the let it rip cord lariat. <laughs> the let it rip cord lariat. God damn it. Uh. Anyway, let's go over to uh, let's go over to AEW. Um, oh, interesting! T- interesting developments happening happening over at AEW. It's interesting times, I will say. <laughs> yeah, I, I I saw the tag match announced for next week, and I am very ta- I am very tantalated. I'm yeah. yes, yes, absolutely. I am as well. That is going to be about time. Are we going to see? Are we going to? Are we going to see an FTR heel turn here, though? Are we going to get a genuine face versus face tag team? Match? I don't. I think I, it's going to be one of those situations where the acclaimed have so much support. Whatever they do, FTR will be heel anyway. I, I feel, and that's the thing. Those two are. Those two teams are so damn popular. Regardless of who's going to do the di- like the face heel dynamic, they're still going to be cheered. Like at we're going to get point, a both these guys chant. <laughs> I, no, at this point, FTR is exactly like Stone Cold Steve Austin in two thousand and one. If they turn heel, they will still get cheered. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's one of those things that and I can't believe I'm saying this in the year of our Lord 2022 <laughs> that genuinely the great divider might be Billy Gunn. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy ass. It, it doesn't it, it won't matter what the acclaim do, but like if Daddy Ass interferes, then that's then that's like all the heats on him. Oh, did mm-hmm. you did you see as well talking of AEW? Did you see who debuted for AEW in the All Atlantic Championship Lumberjack match? What? Kevin Fawn. Yes, ECW's oh God, yes. vampire. Yes, I remember this. I saw it. Was we one don't of the have lumber- any cameras on, but if you guys could see my face right now. <laughs> He wasn't even announced. He was just one of the lumberjacks that was there. <laughs> is he still doing the vampire gimmick? Oh, he was still doing the vampire gimmick. And the thingy, funny yeah. thing is, he's a real estate agent now. I love no. it. Yep. I love it. It's great. <laughs> Old Mordecai is now shilly houses. Oh, it, it, my this God. Is, this, is like, <laughs> this, is, this is wrestling culture. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that I was can... hilarious. I just couldn't believe it I mean, when I saw Kevin Ford. Personally, what I liked 
was that they all kept up the tradition that when you the old tradition of when you come out for a lumberjack match, you come out wearing flannel. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is how you do it. I feel like we're skirting around the real big thing, though, that's coming out of AEW this week is uh, is is William Regal's status within the company. Yeah. Um, oh. If you saw that 16-minute promo, which was fully uploaded onto YouTube, by the way, of MJF's reveal of the BBB, the Big Burberry Belt, and I agree with Tony, it does look a bit shit, if I'm honest, but it's perfect oh, for it. MJF. It's the, best thing in this in it's the best thing in this business going right now. But that's the thing, it's so shit-looking, but then you realise, fuck, that's perfect for MJF. <laughs> Also, MJF's suit was lined with the words "better than you." Oh, that is a dig at Conor McGregor because he's been a, he's been in Conor McGregor's mentions for a while for a little while now. To be honest, I think at this point, anything anyone says is uh, Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor thinks is a dig at him. So that is true. That is very very true. You you guys are probably gonna get Conor in your guys' mentions here later. <laughs> You know what? He, he can he can talk. That's fine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, the ending of that was one that was definitely generated to give him nuclear heat, and I believe that worked. I mean, to to to, to like blindside William Regal with a brass knuck shot to the back of his head when you know yeah, from of... from behind with his back turned, and with the history of Regal's neck and head problems as well playing into that. That's like, oh, you that that is one way to generate nuclear nuclear heat with the audience and it worked it absolutely did because everyone was booing the shit out of him out of oh. the arena but that seemingly say? looks like it might that might be the signal for regal to be written off of um aew television well obviously part of this has become like oh is he off back to wwe and no one can agree whether or not he has a one-year contract or a three-year contract there's also yeah, wasn't it announced at the beginning that it was a three-year deal and it yeah. was for uh, talent relations yeah i mean from what i've heard the conflicting reports as well was that there was a clause that we regal only signed due to a clause that's made him that say if triple h were to regain some sort of authority in the company that he would have carte blanche to go back again people have said that that was a contract stipulation others are saying that's complete and utter bs that would be a very weird very specific contract like specification exactly it, it seems a bit weird to ask for that if you're going to go in for a three-year deal you know what i mean <laughs> Like, like, unless everybody in the company deal, already just in knew. Case this one specific situation happens. I want to leave with immediate effect. <laughs> like, it, like, nobody at that point in time expected the Vince McMahon news to come out. So, exactly. when Regal was released, I highly doubt that he would have put that into his contract. Exactly. Exactly. If anything, I feel like. It's just, it's just really really weird it's it is it is honest to, for me you know if i'm sitting here honest regal was regal and he is he's always will always has and always will be probably one of the best minds in the entire industry one of the most entertaining <clears throat> people as well and whether he's in wwe and aew doesn't matter honestly because whoever has him has just a wealth of knowledge and talent at their grasp and real's always been such a had such a keen eye on the industry as well and has always gone to gone to bat for a lot of people who are genuinely good but deserve more whether that was in 
WWE, NXT, AEW. Regardless of I've that, said he's I just the love best Regal. talent scout in wrestling. Yeah, Regal's yeah. Regal, and I, I love where I will love wherever he, love him wherever he goes. Honestly, to me, it's one of those. It is one of these things again where the people are trying to. It's the people drawing the battle lines, and you got to like one or the other. And it's just like guys, with everyone's, we're all grown ups now. This isn't. This isn't WWE versus WCW anymore. And besides, why are we? playing this when we know and we've seen since 2001 that a monopoly on the industry absolutely kills all creativity for it everything so so why don't so just be happy we've got a duopoly in terms of mainstream wrestling (laughs) don't shit on one or the other And a duopoly that wants to spread as well. Like we, they're wanting more. They're wanting more eyes on the product. And in all reality, that's good for local wrestling, your uh, independent wrestling, to the state next to you or the province next to you. It's good for wrestling to thrive, regardless of if it's one promotion or if it's two main promotions and this plethora of amazing smaller promotions that we have nowadays. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why to me as well, if this, this news, it doesn't, it don't, it, to me, it won't upset me greatly. If Regal goes back to WWE or stays in AEW, it's the same thing. If, if MJF goes to the WWE in 2024, to me, I, it, it, it doesn't matter whether he stays or goes. It's that, you know... Because it's... mm. He's there. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) See, and there's my talk on why you shouldn't shouldn't be drawing battle lines, people. (laughs) I'm only talking to wrestling Twitter, but... (laughs) (laughs) It's a good cause, man. (laughs) It is. Exactly. Exactly. But, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's gone a... I mean, it's gone a conversation, that's for damn sure. And Everything it is an interesting thing. It's <laughs> true. Very, very, very true. Um, I mean, apart from that, I mean, not much else has taken my interest. Apparently, uh, the only couple of little bits, of course, we've got Final Battle coming up. Yeah. Um, quite excited for that. Um, uh, there is, I will say, there is the possibility of Mickey James' final match. She's challenging Jordan Grace for the women's title and impact. Which I am really excited to see, hear and see, honestly. Really yeah, excited. Say, this, this, in my opinion, is the biggest possible like send-off for Mickey James because mm-hmm. she's one of the biggest supporters for Jordan Grace. Absolutely. So this is, this is going to be an emotional match, and <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, same, same. There is rumor as well going around that both AEW and WWE are incredibly interested in Ninja Mac, which I say it's oh, about oh, time. Oh. It's about bloody time that they that they, they that there's the possible interest the in the pair of the them. The secret to that question is why were you not in the first place? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, how, how were you not? The the first time I laid eyes on him, I was like, this guy's gonna be a star. Brother does like seven twenties. And here's and, and and here's the thing. If he goes now, he's probably gonna end up exactly like Ricochet is right now in the WWE. That's the problem. <laughs> I I don't I don't remember how I called it, but he did like a Sasuke special sunset flip power bomb to the outside of the fucking oh, yeah. ring. That was amazing. And I fucking. Oh. That's the most. That's the single most amazing spot I've ever seen. 
The amount of precision in order to get those flips landed, jump over the rope, grab your opponent, and then flip over and land a safe power bomb is insane. Yeah, it's 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 it is genuinely, genuinely nuts. All I'll say is, if they if AEW does sign him, that probably might be the impetus for me to actually go to the London show next year. <laughs> <laughs> you better That's have true. Ninja Mac on that card, I swear to God. <laughs> there you go, Ninja Mac versus AR Fox to be the opener for the Dynamite in London. That would be so good, but you know they wouldn't. They wouldn't. You know no. it's not going to be on Dynamite, you know it's going to be on Dark. Especially when you hear, I have to bring this up, the news that came out recently about Mox's and Brian's original intention for the for the blackpool combat club basically what they wanted to do was be a new version of sarutagoon basically they wanted to be a faction very much like how jumbo was like in the early 90s in all japan pro wrestling whereas just you had the one really big established guy regal sending out like the the, the, the like and surrounded by the most talented people within that hold the values of professional wrestling and going out mm -hmm. there and just having extreme ma ex extremely excellent matches but we never got that and it just makes me go that this year AEW really has been that company that has really kind of, this is the first big challenge for them and I feel like they they, they they had basically a really good they had Sarutagoon and modern day Sarutagoon in their hands and they fucked it up as above oh, so, so below, below. <laughs> <laughs> they, they also fucked up proud and powerful but i'm gonna leave that tangent for another day yes oh Brother, i ain't got time for that discussion we ain't got time no, for that we, we don't we don't have time for that today <laughs> but um apart from that in terms of other kind of wrestling news i don't know is there anything else dan that's kind of anything that kind no, of lets people interest. awesome all right in that case then let us jot on over to reardon for this week's recommendation corner what have you got for us reardon guys how do you feel about little sims i mean one of the one of the like single best talents to come out of this country so like so far within the yeah i'd say that before yeah. we started recording, I had no idea who this was, but I didn't actually... why I am recommending her. I have no real kind of special... special things to say about Little Sims, other than that she has just been consistently good for about a decade. I'm looking forward to the, to the eventual Little Sims Pink Pantheress collaboration. <laughs> as well, because I just... I just need that to happen. Because, hey, look, I'm a, look, there's another recommendation. Pink Panther S. She's really freaking good. And amazing how she managed to make a musical career out of TikTok. That's one way of using the algorithm to, 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 to your benefit. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Fair enough. I mean, she literally only has four albums. They're all great. Especially Stillness and Wonderland and Grey Area. Great. Yeah, yeah Grey Area. They're both great. Yeah, she's just. I have nothing more to say other than she's just really good she, and deserves so, being listened to. <laughs> so that is my recommendation. Listen to Little Sims. Also, Wonderland is amazing. Also, I forgot she does actually have a cameo in Venom. Let there be carnage, doesn't she? You didn't know that, did yeah. you, Reardon? 
I did not know that. Yeah, she has a cameo mm-hmm. in, in, in the second Venom film. That's implying the fact that people out there have actually seen Venom Let There Be Carnage. I mean, I... I, 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 I fucking I, great. I, 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 I was watching it when it was on TV, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I left it on something in the background, and I was real. I real. I was watching that it and realized got released, and I had no idea. I was like, "Is that little? That is little Sims. What the <laughs> fuck is she doing here?" I think that was one of Woody Harrelson's best performances in the past ten years. What? Minus Hey Mitch Abernathy in the Hunger Games, of course. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. With that, <laughs> it is time to get on to our main portion of the episode. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Oh, this is one that I kind of didn't realize until we were planning all of these out that I realized that, no, this is one I've kind of really been wanting to do. But it's kind of like one of those sleeper ones where you don't think about it until you mention it. And it's like, in, in oh, all, yeah. In all fairness, uh, our original thing was we asked ourselves, have we done an episode on him before? And we realized we hadn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. That is, which is... So bizarre. We, we were so convinced that over the course of a hundred and something episodes, we already had done an episode on him, but we had. <laughs> it's it's abs- It's actually nuts that we hadn't done an episode just like yeah. I mean, with everything that we've done, like it feels like we've mentioned Scott so many times, especially yeah. when we did the WCW episode, like uh, the two parter on WCW. But to not actually dedicate an entire episode on him. Yeah, so like this one's kind of been one of those sleeper ones where up until we realised it, we really wanted to do it. <laughs> so, first question, as I always like to start off with these things. First memories of Scott Hall. What are they? Uh, we'll start with our guest, Matty. What were your first memories of Scott Hall? So this is going to show my age. Uh, my first memories of pro wrestling actually come from uh, the WrestleMania where Jeff Hardy did the Swanton off the ladder. Uh, I believe it was either 17 or 18. Hmm. I think it's X8. But on that show had Scott Hall and Kevin Nash versus Stone Cold in the handicap match. Ah, oh, this saw us. This saw the, and, the incredible cell. The incredible cell. This, this this was my very first memory of Scott Hall. Is the stunner where he takes it and just does the most Boing. absurd but he, amazing cell for the stunner. He launches himself, and it's the greatest thing known it to wrestling. It is amazing. This is what yeah, I know. That shows my like, age. <laughs> we'll get we'll get to this right. If you want to sell a stunner. Do it like Scott Hall. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. I did. Well, I, well, I, um, going back like uh several months ago when I did a 2002 video for my good friend Nova, I had to include in the title sequence. I had to include the Stone Cold, <laughs> like the Stunner Cell, because like, that's 2002 in a nutshell. <laughs> It's yeah, really so that, brilliant. That was X8, right? That was yes. X8. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I did get the year right. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's oh that that I mean for me this will show my age even more. But it was actually I I didn't watch it as is, but I did watch it on a VHS tape. It, it's it's mm-hmm. the, it's the ladder match like it's mm-hmm. the ladder match um, was the my TLC first memories too. of Scott Hall. Oh, oh okay, it's the ladder match against Shawn Michaels at, at WrestleMania ten. 
Oh. That is one heck of a memory, like a first instance of a wrestler being that. And it's oh hell yeah, such a good match. But we'll get to we'll we, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Dad, Ridden, first memories of Scott Hall. Ridden you know, the first. Yeah, funny enough, my first real memories of Scott Hall is back when like his big rejuvenation. Mm. So around it, it's like two thousand two when he came back. Would you say? Yeah. Interesting. And I, like just a general like, who is this guy? I don't know. He looks pretty cool though. So. <laughs> yeah. So 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 it's like my brain just went. I don't know this man. He looks cool. So I'm gonna like him. I'm going to like him. And that is as far as it went. <laughs> I will say, dude looked cool as hell. Yes. Yeah. Are you <clears throat> are you ready for my explanation, which treads on exactly the same thread? <laughs> My first memory of Scott Hall was from my old from my older brothers having wrestling action figures. Okay. And they had one that I saw and I went, that guy looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> and had no idea who he was until way later in the future. Um, and I was playing a uh, I was playing a, a wrestling game which had Scott Hall on it, and I was like, Oh, that's him. <laughs> that's that dude. <laughs> I will say my. I, I, I learned who he was, and then I went and watched some of his matches, and I was like, I was right. I will say as well, on a similar point, my second memory of Scott Hall would have been WCW Mayhem for the PS1. <laughs> that god awful game made by EA. Yes, EA made a wrestling game before yeah. the Def Jam games. And it was a crock of shit. Oh my god. Didn't they also do a backstage assault? Yes, Matty, they did do backstage assault. Yeah, I, I remember backstage assault. I'm not too fond of mayhem, but backstage assault, I remember being, as a kid, the worst game I've ever played. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. If, I, if, if, if a child looks at it and is playing it and is like, this is horrible, <laughs> that's bad. I still think the only good thing that ever came out of Backstage Assault was the new Legacy guys ending up actually playing Backstage Assault with Vince Russo of all people. It's amazing. This is this is this is the the thing that's that I say about it, which is like you just have to understand when something's that astoundingly bad, it's like you have to find a way to deal with playing it. <laughs> and they found a way. Yep. I don't I don't know what they did before the cameras went on, but yeah, they found a way to get through it. <laughs> Alrighty. So let us get then into the into the Scott Hall retrospective, as we always do at the beginning. Born in October 1958, Scott Hall was born in St. Mary's County, Maryland, but was uh but grew up as a military uh, brat, going from army barracks across the world subsequently almost every year of his life. Funnily enough, he ended up attending high school in Munich in Germany. Nice. <laughs> and moving once every year before he was 15. So basically he would go to uh, Germany for a year, he would end up being stationed in Korea and Japan that for another you, year. That gives you absolutely zero time to make friends or to exactly. settle in anywhere. It, at, yeah. And that's what basically subsequently he said growing up, he was a bit of a loner by nature and kind of through kind of like circumstance because 
his father constantly moving from military base to military base across the world, meaning he didn't really have much of a foundation to kind of lay down. Apparently, he's, he said when he was a kid, his accent was all over the place. I'm not oh, surprised. Oh, I bet. <laughs> Is like, that like the upside, yeah, he gets to see everywhere. The downside is, holy hell, I can't understand a word you're saying. <laughs> Apparently, it was like some form of like weird. Uh, it was like a a weird Maryland twang, but also with mixed with like uh, with like a German kind of inflection. Inflection. So it's kind of like so, a like weird the Europeanness of the German transatlantic sort of accent. Think Kelly Osborne. Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> so Hall from this time, Hall ended up becoming a massive and avid fan of professional wrestling, as it was kind of one of the few constants that he had whilst keep whilst moving from base to base. WWF or sorry, NWA, I should say, in WWF was on prominently at this time and consume any wrestling that he could, whether it be local or international. Hall, though, would end up fast forward to that. Hall would begin training in around 1984 by Hiro Matsuda. Now, where have we heard that name oh, before? It's the the trainer of Hulk Hogan and the great yeah. Muta and Paul Laundorf and Lex Luger, Bob Orton, and of course, Ron Simmons. Hiro Matsuda. Legend. Hiro Matsuda is a legendary name, but apparently hated Hogan because he was just, he just didn't want to bother training. <laughs> It don't work for me, brother. <laughs> Hall would then have too much, too much work. Yes, that's the work for me, dude. Uh, you want me to do what now, dude? <laughs> I ain't laying down for nobody. I ain't doing a, I ain't hit doing a Hindu press for you, dude. <laughs> anyway, Hall would begin his career in 1984 for the Florida Territory of Championship Wrestling from Florida, which was an NWA subsidiary. His first match, as noted or um, noted down here, was... <laughs> Go on, the... do it. I don't like that. <laughs> Sorry, it's... <laughs> it's because what he was billed as. Okay, so... Was it, Ameri was it the American Starship It was one, the American or? Starship, yeah. <laughs> so build as American Starship Coyote. <laughs> Him and his partner, American Starship Eagle, <laughs> defeated okay. the team of Jeff Sword and Paul Kelly. Now, one of those things is not like the other. <laughs> and the question I want to know is, in a world of American American Starship Coyotes and Jeff Swords, where does Paul Kelly fit into this? Because <laughs> he sounds like the guy, he sounds like a bloke from Liverpool. That's like a typical bloke he from Liverpool name, isn't it? I'll tell you what he sounds like. He sounds like a 2000s British DJ. But he's from Danbury, Connecticut, if you wanted to know. I mean, that doesn't really help, but and I mean, cool. Also, in the words of John Oliver, as, fuck Danbury. <laughs> as as a quiz master looking up other wrestlers, you know, other gimmicks and names throughout the years, American Starship Coyote has to be one of my favorite obscure <laughs> gimmicks for any wrestler ever. Fortunately, though, he would soon leave becoming American Starship Coyote and take on the name... I believe it was the name of Texas Scott. Uh, 
Okay, that's and would begin a feud with Dusty Rhodes. So, so, so not a bad upgrade from American Starship no, Coyote. Now, the reason, <laughs> the reason why he was Texas Scott, was during this time. If you've not seen pictures of Scott in nine in the mid nineteen eighties, oh. he bore a striking resemblance to Magnum PI. Oh, no, no, no. So, it was a, uh, it was a uh, Magnum Scott. It was Magnum Scott, uh, and then Texas Scott. That's the one. Yes. Yeah. Because yes, he then, looked just like Tom Selleck. Even more than Magnum TA looked like Tom Selleck. He looked more like it Tom was, Selleck than Tom Selleck. It was absolutely horrifying how, like, he could have been the stunt double and made a hell of a lot more money. <laughs> at that time, at that time, <laughs> we'll get into that part later. <laughs> He would uh, he would regularly during his time in Championship Wrestling from Florida he would actually re uh, regularly train and team with uh, Dan Spivey, Dangerous Dan Spivey or Waylon Mercy if you wanted to know. Um, it was also during this time, of course, that Dan Spivey was also Starship uh, Eagle, uh, American Starship Eagle. If you really Aww, wanted to know. Yeah. <laughs> so funny enough, this has Scott, layers, people. Scott didn't yeah, really like that for very long and. Uh, and soon joined the NWA Central States Territory in Kansas City in 1985. He would end up uh, having a couple of shots at the Tag Team Championships with Dan Spivey as well. Uh, would you believe, actually, had a, though the, the Central States Champions at the time when they were feuding for the titles was Bulldog Bob Brown and Marty Jannetty? <laughs> Hello, Marty. What a team! It's crazy. You, you, you would have thought Marty this whole time would have been teaming with Sean, but I digress. Marty, Marty was doing the uh, the post-WWE indie circuit run before anyone else. <laughs> this leads us to Vern Garnier's AWA, which Hall would join in mid-1985, where he would reprise the role, starting out as Magnum Scott Hall, but later would become Big Scott Hall. <laughs> Big Scott. <laughs> because, of course, Vern, Vern's subtlety to Vern Garnier, I guess, is lost on it. <laughs> Vern Garnier is like that um, that screen cap where he's like, I know writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. The reason why he why he made him into a babyface and called him Big Scott Hall was actually Vern wanted to push Hall to the same heights as Hulk Hogan had. Um, because basically Hogan just had just left the AWA for the WWF yeah. and now wanted someone within the same kind of like build, height and stature as Hogan someone to kind of fill that role. big, if not bigger. And so he, that... even had, he even had Hall doing the same type of moves as Hogan. Exactly. Leg drops, big boots. I believe at one point he actually started using the Axe Bomber as well. <laughs> From matches okay, I've seen at this time, he looked like he was using a certain lariat that looked like the Axe Bomber. <laughs> but basically, what you're telling me is that Vern Gagne's entire strategy to losing Hulk Hogan was, what if I just recreate Hulk Hogan again? <laughs> you had Lex Fuck Luger you, pal, I'm going to make another one. <laughs> you had Lex Luger at that time. Like, you could have... The... You... There are times when I forget about, like, Vern Gagne allegedly being the ultimate carny. Yes, but like Jesus Christ, just being there and being like, you know what? If I just get a different guy to do exactly the same stuff, play all the same hits, everything will be fine. And I respect that effort. 
Hey, yo, that ain't gonna work for me. I, can't lie. I respect it. Going to all the effort <laughs> of getting someone to learn a whole new set of moves copied off someone else who just left your company. Like we talk about, we talk about fake razor and diesel. This is a step up. <laughs> this is this is stealing. This is buying a dom. This is buying a Domino's pizza and saying you cooked it yourself. <laughs> Hey, it's not like I've done that myself, but I digress. Uh, <laughs> it's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. <laughs> I've gone, I've gone. God dang it. Right, so... <laughs> it was also during his time in the AWA that Hall would travel to Japan where he would debut for New Japan Pro Wrestling in 1987. His first match, a tag match, teaming up with Masa Saito to take on the team of George Takano and Tatsumi Fujinami. Hall would win this match in 7 minutes and 40 at Korokuen Hall in Japan. <laughs> Can we just talk about that? Can you imagine going over Tatsumi Fujinami in any match in your first match in New Japan? Exactly. In Korokun Hall as well. <laughs> like, I'd be going to the back going, holy shit, that just happened. <laughs> Man, whoever arranged this was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Anoki. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm big. You saw a guy who was like six foot eight and was like, don't worry, I got this set. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this brings us to a very, very famous tag team in the AWA at this time. Hall would form a tag team with Kurt Hennig. Oh, you've seen this tag team. There are a lot of matches Mr. on YouTube. Mr. Perfect is so good. These oh, two yeah. are awesome, but there's also something that I highly recommend you, t uh, you three and anyone who's listening watch. There's a vignette of Hall and, and Kurt, uh, kind of like this vignette of bigging them up as a team. But instead of talking, they are rapping the entire vignette and promo. Oh no. In oh, speedos shit. at a swimming pool. There are many things that I don't want to see, and I have to be on it. I think Scott Hall trying to rap is one of them. It's the most amazing <laughs> thing in the world in terms like of guy, how like, stupid guy, the, it is the guy, the guy has hood respect but let's keep it at that <laughs> <laughs> but uh so i had this whole credits kurt for really kind of cultivating his early career and kind of teaching him the more intricate and the uh the intricate things about wrestling as well as kind of brushing up and really honing in the basics of the industry as well this team would end up uh, winning the AWA World Tag Team Championships in 1986 in a 58-minute barnstormer in New Mexico. They defeated the team of Jimmy Garvin and okay. Steve Regal. Okay. Not the, okay. St not, not the Steve Regal we're thinking about. It's really not weird. Regal. Another Steve Regal. This was another a... Steve Regal? Another Steve Regal. Another Steve Regal that was around this time, based in Florida, trained by Bobby Heenan. This is the thing that got me. It's like he's he was trained by Bobby Heenan, but the only thing he's known for is that tag team with Jimmy Garvin, and of course getting mixed up with William Regal. Okay. Because <laughs> remember, remember at this yeah, time. Remember at this time. My brain hurts. Remember at this time, 
Steve Regal was still doing World of Sport as the Nature Boy Steve Regal. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I have to tell you, like, people who don't watch World of Sport, especially American <gasps> fans, are going, wait, he was called the Nature Boy? <laughs> yes. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so this, the, the team... As champions would take on such uh, challenges and teams, such as the team of Playboy Buddy Rose and Doug Summers, Nord the Barbarian and Boris Zukov, and the Irwins, Bill and Scott, they would eventually lose the belts to Bob Buddy Rose and Doug Summers via countout, which was a really weird thing how they were able to lose the titles by countout after interference from Colonel De Beers. <laughs> oh boy! I, I'm not even going to go over Colonel De Beers, but, but just let's, let, let me just say... In, term, in terms of a name, uh, I have many problems with it. All I'm saying is, apartheid was a massive thing during that time. Yes. I will sim... Hmm, today I will name my gimmick after the owner of a, uh, owner of a company that operates diamond mines with horrific working conditions. Hmm. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> this, is why, this is what I mean when I say when it comes to wrestling it is the fucking cryptid of entertainment. It really is, right? My god. In any other universe you get the feeling someone would have been there and gone that's a fucking awful idea. Nope. <laughs> Someone's definitely sitting there going <laughs> someone will definitely sit there and go nah that's a good idea chief just do it. <laughs> Soon after losing those titles to, 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 to those two, though, Hall would begin a, pu a main event push towards the AWA World Heavyweight Championship. As a matter of fact, he would challenge for the title twice against Stan Hansen and another against Rick Martel. Both at times he was unsuccessful for the title. During this time in the AWA, though, Hall would receive a couple of tryout matches for the WWF. <clears throat> Specifically, he ended up having one in a WWF Wrestling Challenge taping against Paul Roma, of all people. Ah, <laughs> uh, famed Four Horsemen member Paul, Paul. Roma. <laughs> but alas, despite the fact that <clears throat> he had the look, he had the height, everything that kind of Vince was looking for during this time, he never signed him at this point. Which is crazy to think about. And just look at him. He was massive. Must have been Vince the mustache. would have loved him. <laughs> Must have been the mustache. It, 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 it's a thing. It's a topic I'm going to touch on later, probably towards the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> so this brings us to the NWA slash his first stint in World Championship Wrestling. Hall was scouted by Jim Ross in 1989 and was brought in to be part of the NWA's World Championship Wrestling. It was part Jim Ross Jim Ross signed him to kind of start and kickstart a new initiative within the company to bring in new young talent to push them into a brand new and main event scene. Also during this time he also signed Sid Vicious and Brian Pillman. What a, what a set of signings. <laughs> It's not a bad trio of signees, is it? Yeah, I was about to say, that's pretty damn good. Absolutely. I mean, one of these things is not like the other, but still. Yeah, so, I, don't know why, I don't know why you go to all the effort of signing Brian Pillman with Scott Hall and Sid, but you know. 
True, true. <laughs> he would make his debut on the June 3rd edition of WCW in 1989. Oh, gosh. That showed the character of Scott Gator Hall. Swimming. Oh. This He would be... Sw he swam, played volleyball on a beach, would end up fishing, scaring away alligators. Basically... So, boy. so basically... So what you mean... He was so basically Irwin. super, super sexy Scott Hall. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's like it's like him and Eddie Guerrero of two people who could actually wear a mullet. Yes, <laughs> it's like two people. <laughs> you have to be a certain kind of person. Mm. <laughs> and after this, he pretty much didn't make his TV debut in, for a very, very long time. He would end up uh, going on the house show loop for quite a you while. His in-ring debut would be in a house show in Cleveland, Ohio, where he there, teamed. There, there, wasn't, there, wasn't, there wasn't much... Uh, what, for Scott Gator Hall? fucking Scott Gator Hall. No, no. He would end up in his debut losing to the Freebirds. Whilst waiting for his first television match, though, he would continue to wrestle was placed in tag teams here and there with, uh, like, mishmash teams of people, continuing to lose to the Freedbirds constantly. <laughs> but he would finally gain his first victory on a June 29th house show, where he pinned the legend of the industry, Rip Morgan. <laughs> you love it. I'd love to see it. But would you believe he would end up eventually getting his television debut on a July edition of WCW Pro, where he would be pinned by the Great Mooter. I thought you were going to say the Freebirds again. No, it was the Great... So it's an upgrade. I mean, the next week he was defeated by Terry Funk. So again, another upgrade. Okay, okay. That's not bad. It was Terry uh, beat his ass? It was then during this point that he was just then basically... Where, rather than being a guy that to develop young new stars, he was just Jobber Deluxe. So to read uh, off the rogues gallery of people who defeated him, Muta, Funk, the Freebirds, Mike Rotunda, Sid Vicious, Butch Reed, Ron Simmons. And after this, he just kind of realised, well, I don't think I'm going to be here much longer. And his last match was on the November 7th edition of World Championship Wrestling, where he was defeated by Butch, Butch Reed in a house show in Chicago. Yeah, that's your, that's, that was a sign to be like, you know what, I'm done here. And after, that, and after that, he decided, you know what, screw it, I'm going to go back to New Japan. And so he did. In 1990, he rejoined New Japan um, in another tag match, actually, teaming with Larry Cameron to defeat Hiroshi Hase and Kuniaki Kobayashi. Now, if you don't know who Larry Cameron is, Hall, hoss of a man, former football player as well. Big old dude. But um, I believe oh, it's, it's a shame about like Larry Cameron, Cameron is that he died pretty soon after he actually he would end up debuting. So he debuted around nineteen, I want to say like nineteen ninety ish, and would end up passing away in a house show in Germany in nineteen ninety three due to heart complications. But at a house show? Yeah, in Germany. Oh dear, dear. It's it kind of sucks, but he had oh, all the, again shit. had all of the facets to be a really good like like massive big wrestler at the time, but of course just time was just cut way too short for him. Anyway, 
He would wrestle numerous times for New Japan during this time, facing uh, opponents such as Koji Kital, Shinya Hashimoto, uh, Nord the Barbarian again, and Bam Bam Bigelow. Hey, Bam Bam, what a guy. He would reprise his role as Texas Scott one time for the Catch Wrestling Association in Germany, taking part in the Catch Cup 90 tournament in December of 1990. He was eventually defeated by the Soul Taker in the tournament final. If memory serves me correct, I don't (laughs) think it's The Undertaker, but I can't be 100% sure. Is it it fake Undertaker? You said uh, the Soul Taker, right? Yes. All right. Uh, what year? Oh, no. I've, I've just figured out I know who it is. I think I know who it is. It's the Godfather. Yeah! 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 Let's go! Yep. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Hello, man. Oh, man, we haven't had him turn off in a while. <laughs> And after this, in 91, Hall would have a brief stint in the World Wrestling Council in Puerto Rico. He would eventually end up defeating Miguel Perez Jr. for the Caribbean Heavyweight Championship as well. Eventually losing it to Supermedic Free on the 20th <laughs> April show of WWC. No, I'm sorry. That's, that's out, that name sounds fake. <laughs> That's Puerto Rico. They have stupid names like that. Yeah, I know. But when you say <laughs> super medic free, it sounds like a it sounds like a weird series of shovelware games. Hey, you, you, you have to remember that two years ago, Spider Man wrestled for CMLL. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but this time it was with Marvel's permission. <laughs> Got a good play. At least they had permission this time. <laughs> it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. <laughs> Don't don't worry about the last twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> During his time, after striking up a friendship with one Diamond Dallas Page, he was convinced to rejoin WCW in nineteen ninety one, where he would make his official return and now being renamed the Diamond Stud in a gimmick that was quite similar to Rick Rude's, uh, in a sense, but almost was the perfect launch pad for Hall being paired with a good friend in DDP, making his debut, or first appearance, I should say, at the very first Super Brawl, and in the debut in his debut match, would squash Tommy Rich at Clash of the Champions. And again, and from this, he would end up absolutely cleaning house, defeating the likes of Tom Zenk at the Great American Bash. He would also end up uh, ending up having a couple of, uh, striking up a friendship, I should say, with one Vinny Vegas, we all know, of course, as Kevin Nash. Now, it was during this time as the Diamond Stud that Hall would start to incorporate a lot of things that he would become iconic to him as a wrestler and his characters throughout the years. He would begin sporting toothpicks, having them, flinging them at television cameras as well during the time, um, and basically having a very much of a kind of very cocky swagger and demeanor. I believe at that time he started the he started the little hair thing at the time as well. The little uh, greased hair. Page now DDP has stated that he got the idea for the toothpick after him and Hall used (laughs) used toothpicks at a Waffle House. (laughs) Okay. 
and that he was original like, and the original plan for the for, for the spot where hall flicks the toothpick at the camera was that it was actually going to be page and hall flicking them <laughs> he just, what he just decided not to but oh, page but ddb couldn't because one fell out of his mouth before he could do it <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and so he just kept it. The side of that hall would do it instead of it. <laughs> I just, I just love the idea that it came from that. I just figured it would be like a, it's like a traditional, like cool guy thing from movies to do. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so, no, it was, it was just a, it was just a Waffle House kind of like get together. That it Waffle came House, about. the great cultural inspiration of the United States. <laughs> Which I can oh. confirm after having been to a Waffle House while I was in the US. Now, of course, Waffle it, Houses are wonderful. They are so good. They are they are full of cursed energy, but in the greatest I, way. I have never been. <laughs> I have never been. The only way I can describe it is imagine like it, the equivalent in the UK would be imagine like a greasy spoon calf that's open like twenty four hours. Hmm. Hmm. Exactly. Like exactly. you don't go there because you don't go there because the food's good. <laughs> you, you go there because it's open. Yeah, you go there because yeah. it's open, and you just want to get food into you. Exactly. We we have we have three places in my hometown that are open twenty four hours. It's one, the the, it's one of them. It's one of them at Denny's. No, we actually don't have a Denny's in my hometown. Oh. I have I have the Waffle House. I have a McDonald's, and I have a burrito place. Has anyone done a hardcore show in any one of those, though, Matty? That's the question. <laughs> I want to see the hardcore burrito match. What the fuck? In the burrito place, I wouldn't What the fuck is a burrito place? Take <laughs> down the door. Uh, what's his name? Superhuman? Yes. Have to do an elbow drop. Oh, my God. Oh, God. <laughs> that dude. <laughs> anyway, if you want to know what was one of uh, Diamond Stud's most iconic matches, I hate to tell you all that it was the Chamber of Horrors match at the 91 yeah. Halloween Havoc. <laughs> yes, the one where Abdullah the Butcher was strapped to the electric chair and presumably died. <laughs> yeah, we all enjoyed it though, didn't we? Yeah, it no, it didn't. <laughs> I'm sure that El Gigante didn't either. <laughs> and of course, as I said, he struck up a friendship and a tag team with Vinny Vegas. Also, ended up tagging for a little bit, uh, part of the Diamond Mine stable, with Scotty Flamingo. No, not to be confused yeah. with Malcolm Bivens' Diamond Mine. No, no, no. <laughs> Scotty Flamingo. Also Our had boy. Also had a little, a little, and I think a blink and you miss it, uh, association with the Dangerous Alliance, Polly Dangerously's Dangerous yeah. Alliance. 92 would see him begin a feud with Dustin Rhodes after he interfered in a match, in a couple of matches that Rhodes, Rhodes was having with Bobby Eaton. But eventually, Hall left kind of unceremoniously after the Dangerous Alliance fell apart. Um wasn't officially added to the group and of course bill watts came in and completely ruined the momentum that wcw had in 1992 for more of that you can check out joseph montecilio's video on 1992 <laughs> <laughs> and hall after that pretty much left wcw after getting a much more interesting and convincing offer from the wwf and yes gentlemen now we get to talk about razor ramon here we go. 
So okay. of course, can I, can I can I just stick this one in here, right? Yes. Because I ha- I have to ask. Obviously, we have Matty with us as well, who can be some confirmation on this. <clears throat> How many of us here? Would of the genuine mind that we were fully convinced that Razor Ramon was Latino. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the skin tone and the way that he carried himself, like the lowriders and stuff. Yeah, but that accent. Oh hell no. <laughs> Maybe this might be. This might just be a British thing. We have no, is, no comparison is, whatsoever. This is true. It took us a long time to get Mexican food over here. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, 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 like our lifetimes, long time. <laughs> it is true. It is true. Now, of course, I went, I went through this whole thing when I, when I was like 17 and I just found out that he wasn't. And I was just like, I feel like everything in my life I've been lied to. I, I feel betrayed. <laughs> uh, we apologize again remember we're, we're, uh, most people see us as at one point we, you know the uk was the cultural center of of the planet but now nowadays i think we're the cultural cesspool of the planet that's, that's accurate to be fair. Oh, it's, it's accurate it's accurate and you know what fair <laughs> we deserve it <laughs> so it's fair to say that scott hall is an absolute cinephile yeah, absolutely loves and adores films and television shows. And of course, it is takes no genius to know that his idea for Razor Ramon was kind of indirectly, but somewhat directly lifted from Scarface. More specifically, the what? character no way. of Tony Montana You're and Manny Rivera. Man. <laughs> that that is that is an absolute like mind blowing. Revelations. You know what the craziest thing is, though? Hall pitched this idea to Pat Patterson and Vince McMahon. They were absolutely floored by the idea, called him an absolute genius, right? Despite yeah, the fact that neither Patterson and McMahon never heard or seen Scarface. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. consider the following. I don't think either of those two men had ever seen that film. <laughs> Yeah, like, when was the last time Vince McMahon actually sat down and saw a film? <laughs> 70s? Then that's, that's been generous? Never, because Vince McMahon can't stand things he can't control, and he can't change a film's runtime in the cinema. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he, would eventually, he would make his first appearance in a dark match um on wrestling challenge now if you've seen this there is actually a steal from this match which she's razor ramon in tights rather than the trunks and it looks really cursed if you ask me (laughs) now it makes me laugh because of all of this came having the meeting pitching this because originally scott wanted to kind of have an amalgamation of the diamond stud character but kind of make it his own but he jokingly pitched razor the character of razor too they're like a scarface like tony montana like character but again hall and pa- uh, mcmahon and patterson never seen it were absolutely flawed and wanted him to do it so much so they booked him and a production team to go to miami to film vignettes for the leading up to his debut like... Which are oh, by the way, those vignettes are incredible. If you've ever seen, I went them. back and watched. I went back and watched some of them. The one where he was yelling at the waiter was amazing. 
I just get this feeling that those vignettes are just the big, the greatest time capsule of that specific moment in history. <laughs> so, in terms of who came up with the name, Pat and Vince came up with the name Razor, but agreed with Tahal's suggestion that it should only be a nickname and should be given a proper name. After kind of batting ideas here and there and everywhere and coming up to not much of anything, Hall came and chatted to Tito Santana to say to come up with a Latino sounding name. And he was the one that suggested Ramon. He brought Look it right. back to Vincent Pat and it stuck. And thus we get Reza Ramon. Ramon. Look right. All I'm saying is for anyone out there that's looking at creating a name, alliteration works. Exactly. Oh, yeah. God bless him, knew what he was doing there. Yeah, I was about to say, look at Marvel, Reed Richards, Bruce Banner, Peter Parker. Are you Tony Stank? <laughs> Don't. <laughs> like, it, it just works. So, it's easy to remember. Here's a fun fact for you. He made he would make his official TV in-ring debut on a 90 on an August 92 episode of Superstars defeating Paul Van Dale. Fun fact. That's Carmella's father. Really? Oh my god. Hey. Yep. Yeah. Carmella's father was Paul Van Dale, the first person to lose to Scott Hall, a uh, Razor Ramon, <laughs> I should say. This is one of those things I didn't think about any of Carmella's parents being wrestlers. Exactly. It's nuts. <laughs> it's nuts, isn't it? Of course, this is where he would also debut his newly named Razor's Edge, which was previously called, I, I, I still think, like, the Diamond Death Drop in WCW. You know, to go from that to that, okay. it's like, those two are such, like, goated finishing, finishing you can't, you names. Can't, Diamond you can't Death have... Drop. You can't just get to have two sick finisher names. <laughs> exactly. That's just unfair. You're just taking stuff away from people. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's, dang it. So, what can we say about Razor during this time? He had an amazing, amazing charisma. That is, yeah. that is just a fact. Basically, it was just Scott Hall being t Tony Montana, but just turned right up, which is always <laughs> going to be hugely charismatic, but hey, he made it work. It works. <laughs> The gear, oh, the ring gear that he had was incredible. Fun but fact. It's, it's, the, it's the thing I say to people, though. Ring gear doesn't need to be complicated to be good. Exactly. Fun fact. The Razor Ramon logo on his trunks and ring jacket was actually designed by famed comic book artist Thomas Fleming. <clears throat> so there you go. That's a little fun fact for you. You know, I'm kind of surprised that Todd McFarlane didn't do the job because that man would do anything for money. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's actually rather surprising. <laughs> Character work is what I love about Hall as well. So I remember, do you remember when he, of course, in the whole ring gear, the ring jacket, the trunks, the knee pads, the gold chains, but every time he would pass them to somebody, to an attendant, it was always the thing of he would threaten them, but just like, something happens to this? Something's gonna happen to you. <laughs> I would flick his toothpick at them at the same time. <laughs> I mean, it's fair though. You don't, you don't want, you don't want your jewels getting messed up. And uh -uh. Look, and look, here's the thing: we joked about it. 
but it was just about his cadence of speech and the accent that just oh yeah that just works it's like, not like that... we, we joke we joke about it but the thing is though is we remember it because it's good <laughs> yes i mean of course the running joke on osw review and they were reviewing things during the new generation the hip man is gonna is gonna face the bad man <laughs> <laughs> oh hey yo <laughs> what i will say is that he he had ring gear like on point like yeah. any oh, color yeah. that any color like 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 match like different like matches of colors for the boots and knee pads and the trunks just worked whether it would be blue yellow purple red pink he just made it work dude you, got, you know if you as long as you know your color combos <laughs> dude you're fine so, what were his, some of his first major angles? Well, on a primetime episode in September, his first angle would begin where he interfered in a WWF title match between Randy Savage and Ric Flair, attacking Savage and enabling Ric to win the title. As a result of this, Savage and, and Ramon started to feud. It later involved the Ultimate Warrior uh, for a little bit, and that, of course, ended up giving us the Ultimate Maniacs tag team. Flair and Razor were scheduled to face those two at Survivor Series, but of course, Warrior was fired from the company right to the end. Warrior, Warrior did a Warrior moment. <laughs> and was hastily replaced by Flair's executive consultant, Mr. Perfect. And oh so, Flair and Razor would eventually lose the match to uh, Savage and Perfect via disqualification. Um, and, his next ma and his next feud would be against... Well, would be against Bret Hart for the WWF Championship. Again, Warrior was scheduled to face Hart at the, at the next year's Royal Rumble, <laughs> but was quickly replaced by Ramon. Honestly, I feel like Warrior gave Ramon like the best thing, so the best start to the basically company. Basically, what you're telling me is that uh, the Ultimate Warrior just decide just disappearing was the best thing that could have happened to Scott Hall. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Ultimate Warrior, for your service. <laughs> Thank you, Warrior. Uh, the, the snark, Dan. The snark was rough on that one. My, look, when you self, when you, when my you, dislike of the Ultimate Warrior is well established. Look, when you, when you, when you, you know, when you do distrusity on yourself, I feel like that gives someone that gives someone a great push, doesn't it? What the? <laughs> to quote Jr. What in the fuck is distrusity? <laughs> Anyhow, oh Ramon would end up uh, tapping out to the Sharpshooter during this time but would end up having a couple of matches here and there with Hart in the lead up to his very first Wrestlemania at Wrestlemania 9 facing Bob Backlund oh my god oh lord fortunately he did win via via roll up so you know it wasn't all that bad the most powerful move in sports entertainment this brings us to a probably one of the most famous moments on Monday Night Raw it's May 17th, 1993. A subsequent squash match as Razor Ramon goes up against The Kid. Oh, yeah. Okay. In what was subsequently a squash match here, there, and everywhere, suddenly, from out of nowhere, The Kid does a moonsault and one, two, for Oh, my God, a job has actually won against someone. <laughs> <laughs> the Kid won. The Kid won. Eventually would be renamed as the one, two, three, Kid. And thus began a feud between the two of them. It carried on all the way into the King of the Ring tournament and triggered a a slow burning 
babyface turn for Razor Ramon. After gaining respect for the 1-2-3 kid and showing him support throughout his matches and eventually garnering a fan reaction from the crowd. This would lead to a to a title, or so not to a title, to a, to a feud with Ted DiBiase, making fun of him for losing to such a small jobber. But eventually Ramon would help the 1-2-3 kid defeat DiBiase, solidifying his face turn, and the feud would culminate at SummerSlam, where Ramon would defeat DiBiase in Ted's final match for the WWF. He was like, I'm done here. <laughs> this brings us, of course, to the record-setting Intercontinental Championship reign. Oh, so it's October 1993, Monday Night Raw. It's a 20-man battle royale, with the last two participants facing each other in the next week for the vacant Intercontinental Championship. Razor Ramon, Rick Martel were the final two. Next week, for the title, Ramon Martel. Fortunately, they went with the good sense of making Ramon the champion. After all, Razor's Edge, one, two, three, your brand new Intercontinental Champion, Razor Ramon. But who was the person who vacated the title? Hmm. Somebody who has a kind of a big track record. Yeah, it's Shawn Michaels. Yeah, it was Shawn Michaels. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> this would begin a feud with HBK, of course, where he was the original, the person who never lost the IC title, and apparently had the stronger claim to become the, the one and only Intercontinental Champion. So he, returned to, he would return to television with his own version of the belt, claiming he was still the champion since having never been defeated for it. The matter... Guys, we all love a good dual champion storyline, don't we? Absolutely. Oh. This leads us, of course, to the very first televised, if you can say, if, if, if I if I could be technically correct, probably one of the yes. first mainstream televised ladder matches. WrestleMania 10, Madison Square Garden, Intercontinental Champion versus Intercontinental Champion, who will become the undisputed IC Champion. Now, chaps, have you seen this match? Yes. Several times. It is a masterpiece. Oh, yeah. To this day, I still think a, 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 it holds up. I mean, of course, we have TLC. we've had TLC in that time. We've had the Hardys, Edge and Christian, the Dudleys really kind of revolutionizing the ladder match for what it can do. And, well, the years it can take off your career and life subsequently because of that. Unless you're Edge, baby. Unless you're Edge, baby. <laughs> Unless you have access to those stem cells. <laughs> <laughs> but this yeah, match I, still holds I, up as a, as a really solid ladder match. I, I like to I like to think about this match as being like a um uh well I I call it the the Black Sabbath <laughs> of ladder matches. Mm. Mm, okay, I in, dig that. In in okay, if you consider Black Sabbath as a metal band, right? Obviously, things have evolved vastly from when it from when it from when Black Sabbath first came around. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. So obviously, there are bands that have done better metal records, mm. but in in isolation for what it is at the time, it's insane. Yeah. I understand. Oh, yeah. As as someone who is a massive Black Sabbath fan, I completely understand what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Like. In in the like, if you look in like the overall history of ladder matches, then yes, this one probably seems quite 
tame mm. and quite like reserved in what it is. But you have to understand that this was the first time it, you know, you know, first time a major wrestling company had done a televised ladder match on pay-per-view, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. There, there was no platform to work off of just like a couple house shows. Yeah. Where it had been like tested. So when you think about it for that, and outside of the world of, you know, I say this now, wrestlers who are ladder match specialists, mm-hmm. <clears throat> like guys like Shawn Michaels and Scott Hall would would by no means consider themselves to be that, but to pull off no. this match is incredible. It's insane. Some of the some of the spots in this match are. Cool. I mean, I feel I feel like mostly every other indie promotion who has a ladder match will tend to try and emulate some of uh, some of the spots. I mean, of course, yeah. The the the, the body splash from the top of the ladder, the getting Shawn caught up Michaels, and hung up on the rope. Shawn Michaels, like right through the upright spot with the ropes, is yep. so scary. So damn scary to this day. Like, uh, th- there's so much that could go wrong. Imagine if those ropes would have just flung him into the crowd. Oof. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> like, that could have been really bad, and Sean was like, nah, I got the calves for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so. This, I mean, of course, we all know this. Hall, uh, Ramon wins the match to become the undisputed IC champion, and that really iconic little uh, that shot of him up top of the ladder holding both belts up in the air. Needless to say, the match was critically acclaimed. Was voted match of the year by by uh, by readers of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It was also the first WWF match to receive five stars from good old Davey Meltman. Hey, there thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> of course, this feud would not end and would continue all the way to uh, SummerSlam. Where Razor, we've, we've already talked about this match and we've already watched it, chaps, where we reviewed SummerSlam 1994. So hot, it's oh, scary. Yeah. Where Razor teaming uh, with Walter Payton in his corner would defeat Diesel to win the IC Championship for a second time. Of course, after Sean accidentally hit Diesel with sweet chin music. Of course, this also gives us the 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 iconic Kevin, uh, Kevin Nash or Diesel backstage holding the, the tag team championships, throwing it to the ground and going, oh yeah, what a pittance. I've still got this. What a pittance. <laughs> oh, man. So The disrespect to the tag titles. I know. You know what the fun... Again, I, I brought this up in the episode, but I don't know if you know this, Matty. In that exclusive little thing that they had, I think it was a home video exclusive of Kevin, of Diesel doing, you know, throwing the tag team titles down and going, oh yeah, I still got this. What a pittance. Off camera was Marty Jannetty on the floor catching the title because they didn't want to break it. <laughs> that was that was Jannetty's role. Hey, catch this thing that we're throwing on the floor so it doesn't hey, break. Hey, Marty, you know that thing that you and Sean fought for for so long, finally got, didn't get recognized for it, and then finally won? Yeah, no. Here we go. We're going to need you to catch it so that Take it doesn't this break. Off the floor, peasant. <laughs> Catch it before it hits the ground so it doesn't fucking break. Thanks, Marty. <laughs> so after a little uh, a Survivor Series-style uh, tag match, which he would end up uh, captaining a team called the Bad Guys to face against Shawn Michaels' Teamsters, 
um, end up being Ramon would end up being the sole survivor of that match. He would begin a feud with Double J, Jeff Jarrett. He would oh, lose. Yeah. Oh yeah. He would yeah. lose. He would lose the title at the '95 Royal Rumble in a very controversial fashion, actually, as Jarrett had originally won the match by countout, but demanded that the match be restarted so he could win the title. And Jarrett would end up pinning Razor with a small package for the win. Greatest way to win a match. Absolutely. This leads us to WrestleMania 11, where Jarrett would face Ramon for the IC Championship, winning by disqualification when Jarrett's manager, the roadie, interferes. Of course. <laughs> oh, you Someone... didn't know. Someone's got to fix the guitars that he breaks. Exactly. So, you know, I never even considered that there would be a guy for that. Like, surely, surely old Double J just has, like, an unlimited supply. <laughs> You'd think so. Yeah, no, I was about to say, Jeff, Jeff Jarrett is a, is a wizard, man. He just creates these guitars out of he thin air. He just spawns guitars. And you know what? Never draws a dime. No, hold on. Every every time my world plays, a new guitar is in Jeff Jarrett's inventory. <laughs> I wonder if Karen gets annoyed by every time that a guitar appears from thin air. Slash. What the hell? Jeff Jarrett has access to the universal computer and just types in slash spawn underscore guitar. <laughs> My world. He ain't dead. He ain't, he, he ain't dead. He ain't the rock either. <laughs> as the song goes. <laughs> No. Every time an ambulance rings, a guitar gets its strings. <laughs> guys, guys, I can't tell you how happy I am that I'm part of this episode that a Jeff Jarrett conversation got started. I'm so happy. <laughs> everything is going according to plan. Exactly, yes. exactly. Now, be aware that there will be someone dressed in a UPS uniform, Matty, that will be delivering a guitar to your front door. <laughs> don't, don't worry, it'll get used very well. <laughs> Dong. <laughs> anyway, so you think Ramon would of Scott Hall, Ramon would defeat Jarrett in a big, big four event for the WWF. Well, I'm here to disappoint you no. by saying that he actually won. He re won the Intercontinental Championship in a house show ladder match in May of '95. <clears throat> Good culture. Thus, we're doing a spectacular, pal. <laughs> thus, though. He would end up becoming the first man to win the IC title three times. Three days later, he relost the title to Jeff Jarrett. Hey, the new duration. <laughs> Praise be my world. <laughs> oh gosh. He would end up suffering an injury, in a rib injury, during his uh, during this uh, during his feud with Jarrett but would end up forming a tag team with a newly debuting Savio Vega. <laughs> oh shit. Time to get the kendo stick specialist in here. Ah, uh, yes. Savio Vega. <laughs> he, Vega would replace Ramon in the free-for-all tournament, uh, but just before the King of the Ring pay-per-view. He would manage to... He would, uh, Vega would manage to get all the way to the final where he would lose to Mabel. Of course. Oof. This again would set up a, this would end up setting up a feud which would lead to the second in your house pay-per-view, which saw Ramon and Vega losing to men on a mission. 
What that's what a feud we all want to see. <laughs> Savio Vega versus Mabel. And honestly, none of the heat in that sentence is on Savio Vega. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so after this, rest in peace, Nelson. Yeah, rest in peace, Nelson. Big Daddy V. Of course, as everyone knows, famously, his song in WWE F or F or E was actually titled "Fuck Me." <laughs> I kid you not. I kid hey. you not. Okay. <laughs> Wait, was this during his world's largest love machine gimmick? Yes, I believe it was. Oh my god! His song was actually... But this is the <clears throat> same thing of Booker King Booker's theme being called Dead White Guys. Oh my god! <laughs> oh shit, you've not weirded. It this was what happens. Dead this is what guys. happens. Okay, this is what happens when you don't have QA in your in your team. <laughs> <laughs> Good oh, gosh. Okay. He would end up having a feud with Dean Douglas, which would see him becoming a four-time IC champion. And in early 96, would end up feuding with a newcomer called Goldust. This led to an intercontinental... I don't know why, but I thought you were about to say Goldberg, and I was like, <laughs> this is already way too early for that, but I thought it anyway. <laughs> no, it's oh. definitely Goldust. I assure you it's definitely Goldust. Now... <laughs> He would eventually he would lose the title to Goldust at the Royal Rumble, and this would eventually was supposed to lead to a rematch at WrestleMania 12 in what they were billing as the Miami Street Fight. But, but before that could even happen, Hall was suspended for six weeks due to well due to failing a drug test at the WWF, and thus was subsequently and very hastily changed to of course the Hollywood backlot back back street fight oh, between no. Roddy Piper. Oh no! Which saw, which famously, or dare I say, infamously, spliced in the O.J. Simpson car chase. Again, I, I have to emphasize in the Bronco. Have, this is why you have QA on your team. This is just to make sure that when they use video footage, they don't use. Video footage of fucking OJ Simpson. And again, you I, know, I kid you sometimes not. Sometimes I watch. Sometimes I watch back in the day. You know the old school stuff. And you look and you sit and you watch and you go, "Wow, there really was just no black people in that management crew, huh? Just zero. <laughs> just you know. Again, remember when I brought up in the Dustin Rhodes episode as well, Reardon, that the original intention for this match was they actually wanted to book OJ in this match. To face Goldust. <laughs> could just, you just, fucking just imagine? The worst part is that think I about could. That as a sentence. Think about that as a sentence. <laughs> they wanted to book OJ Simpson to have a wrestling match against Goldust. <laughs> I... My God. I am man. massaging my temples right now. <laughs> I was say, my head hurts. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, soon enough, though. Hall was very much out on his way out after having a couple of conversations with Eric Bischoff during this time. A lot of it stemmed from uh, from Hall's displeasure at not being able to get a proper main event push. Also, subsequently not being able to make a little bit more money by potentially cutting his dates down and going to Japan. Vince's excuse all the time was, well, I don't know when I'll need you, you know? Ha 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 ha. 
And he said, well, you can let Bob Backlund go to Japan and have a couple of matches. Why can't I? He said, well, Bob, Bob, but I need you here, Scott. Ha ha ha. So after this, he pretty much became a bit miffed off at Vince and decided to tease and even accept the offer that Eric was giving him. Well, he was getting a tons more money than Vince was giving him for less dates and a little more creative control. Uh, a bold move. <laughs> <laughs> of course, as well, during this time, he was also affiliated with Nash, Shawn Michaels, Shawn Waltman and... Paul Levesque, who we know as Hunter Hearst Helmsley, and these four of oh, these, this group, of course, would be known infamously as the Click. Now, there are so many videos, podcasts, essays, yes. blogs talking about the Click and their influence on the company at the time. I'm not going to go over it. We kind of touched upon it on the Shawn Michaels episode, but needless to say, yeah. They did have a lot lot more pull than other people within the company. It's safe to say a lot of that came from the fact that Vince is was completely enamoured by Sean at this time. Still is, I dare say, to, even to this day. And when you think about it, he absolutely detested Bret Hart. It's, it's that thing of, I wonder what would happen if we took a person in the company and gave them a considerable amount of power and status over other people, I'm sure they definitely won't abuse it. The person <laughs> abuses power quite distinctly. <laughs> oh no, how did that happen? Yes, yeah, so she's just like, oh no, I can't believe that this person that has a massive ego about themselves and has gained a lot of power and has made people associate with him who have also gained status and power by virtue of being <laughs> near him. I wonder how this could ever go wrong. <laughs> causes ma causes major company star to want to leave. <laughs> it's true. This of course, talking about this, of course, leads to the infamous curtain call from a Madison Square yeah. Garden house show. With Nash and Hall out of the door pretty much in the next few weeks, uh, this would have been their one of their very final shows within the company. And so in a kayfabe breaking moment, in a, in a moment that was only supposed to be viewed by the Madison Square Garden crowd, after the main event, um, Hall, Nash, Michaels, and Levesque all got out, all came out into the ring and embraced one another. Of course, with all, of course, this confusing if you think in storyline that all these guys were either baby faces and heels, and they're mixing together and being yeah. all chummy. Again, to a to a casual fan who probably didn't, or to kid to a kid who probably didn't know better, um, this was kind of really really weird to see now a lot i've seen throughout the revisionist history of the wwe because fuck the wwe oh hell yeah <laughs> oh hell yeah. yeah there you go um a lot of people see this as the moment where wrestling was blown wide open but the when i look back dave Meltzer was breaking kayfabe long before this like there were yeah. rag sheets dirt sheets like let like newsletters and if you really dug deep enough people were breaking kayfabe left right and center but the intent the moment the internet turned on kayfabe was over exactly oh, yeah. like 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 there were wrestling like once once like once the very earlier adoption of the internet happened there were wrestling forums 
talking about the business and inside gossip. Yeah, I, they don't get the blame. It's just, nah. <laughs> but of course, this wasn't a shared private thing with the crowd because someone actually had a video camera and taped the whole thing. Oh, no, a person going to an event that they've probably paid a lot of money to go to. I sure hope they don't have a video, a handheld video camera like what that like which was gradually becoming more popular and accessible by regular people. All I'm saying is how the hell did he manage to sneak a giant JVC handy cam that he probably propped on his shoulder that time? I will never know. <laughs> but the thing is though is that at that time they didn't care. Exactly. Cuz cuz for, for, for most of the time you were recording onto film anyway. Mhm. Exactly. And so like digital hand recorders were probably not cheap at that point exactly no exactly so this brings us to his return to the to wcw and to the new world order you know who i am you don't know why i'm here i love that now we, of course again again i'm going back to these things we've talked about the nwo at great length on our wcw episode so i won't go too deep as we did there but i will go over scott's involvement with the nwo during this time so he debuted completely unannounced through the crowd on a may 96 episode of nitro in plain street clothes claiming to be an outsider and kind of apparently infiltrating wcw it was very much alluded to that he was still very much razor ramon working with the wwf to infiltrate and break wcw from the inside like it was heavily alluded to but it wasn't outright stated for good reason may i add later on during this uh and the next week he was ended up being joined by kevin nash calling themselves the outsiders and of course this is where the big boys play huh look at the adjective play god damn it kevin <laughs> even though play is totally a verb and not an adjective but i digress <laughs> this of course would lead to a bash at the beach six-man tag match where hall and nash is the outsiders and a mysterious third man would show up later to take on the team the wcw team of Lex Luger, Sting, and Randy Savage. Now, I love the fact that during this whole time, they were trying to convince Hogan to be the third man, even though he was umming and ahhing about it. And they actually had a plan B, being that if Hogan didn't want to do it, they would actually have Sting be the third man of the company. Uh, for the NWO, I should say. In a NWO sense... NWO Sting... It, it, then we got Jeff. We yeah, we got Jeff Farmer sting. Uh, no, but fortunately Hogan <laughs> Hogan did accept the idea, and of course the NWO as we know it was born. Um, of course, Hall and Nash would end up holding the tag team championships on several different occasions during their time um, in WCW in the height of the NWO's fame between '96 and 1998. They would bring in old friend Sean Waltman, now billed as Six, into the NWO fold. Of course, eventually hiring trillionaire Ted, Ted DiBiase being the, the benefactor for the, uh, for, for the New World Order, basically funding their operation. And of course, Eric Bischoff became the leader of NWO. 
and then it just it's, got silly. Is six the worst name that he could have come up with? It's crazy Century. because Bischoff's reasoning for calling him six was that one plus two plus three equals six. <laughs> I mean, the math checks out. <laughs> the numbers don't lie. <laughs> but all, but also, consider the following: that doesn't make it good. <laughs> <laughs> we did. One plus two plus three equals six. We're just gonna add a Y in there and add an extra six. <laughs> that's that's the that's exactly it. Oh man! So I am happy to say one of these highlights I ended up watching was in May '97. Hall and Nash, as the Outsiders, would team with NWO Japan's Masahiro Chono to defeat the Steiner brothers and Keiji Muto at the Osaka Dome. What a blood just... match. Yeah. Can I just say, I loved N uh, NWO Japan. Masa Chono being part of the NWO is just... Yes, because he had the greatest end final boss music in any professional wrestler has ever had. <laughs> I will I will be willing to die on this hill that Masatrona had the best final boss music ever. <laughs> so, I mean, again, as I feel like it's been kind of a very kind of common thread, Hall had all of the facets of being a main event star that you could pop a world title on, but never was given the opportunity. Now, that could be to, due to a lot of factors. could be that the, the booking team didn't probably see him as a world champion. The the booking team probably saw him as a more of a tag specialist. And it could be his substance abuse issues, I would imagine, that would probably hindered, yeah. hindered Hall's time during this. The reason I bring this up is because, for some bizarre freaking reason, during a time where Hall was entering rehab trying to get to, to kind of curb his uh, his issues and abuse they decided to double down on it by making hall a drunk on tv on tv so he would just <sighs> enter tag matches with a cup in one hand slurring his words and stumbling to the ring a very infamous moment was him looking alluding possibly even throwing up on eric bischoff i just like, it's it's terrible how part of wrestling is just making sure that you, you know you're safe exactly <laughs> no i just want to know like what was the rationale behind like yeah he can work while he's intoxicated like no i'm fairly uh, clearly wcw does not follow osha regulations nope just look at uh hog wild Oh, wrestling, oh, wrestling does not observe, does not abide by OSHA. God fucking hell. If you're in the UK and you don't know what OSHA is, they're the American version of the HSE. So, <laughs> if you don't know what that is, then I have can't help you. We're not teachers. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, they ended up seeing that Hall took a, an extended amount of time off after that. Apparently, the reasoning why they did it was in response to the storyline that was going on in the WWF of Hawk being intoxicated and disheveled during his matches when he was suffering from the same why issues. Does wrestling, that... Why does wrestling assume that because one person's doing something, that makes it good? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's, 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 let's take Hawk, who is extremely suicidal at this point in time, 
and just do that as a as a storyline. Perfect idea. <laughs> Again, I don't know how I, I I would ever have to say this. Just because one person does something does not mean it's a good idea. <laughs> no. And so after this, pretty much Hall really didn't have meant much in the way of anything to kind of go on. Like there was one moment I vividly remember of him him and Nash winning the TV title and then them playing basketball and Hall subsequently just throwing the TV title into a garbage can. Nice. Uh, Hall, of Lovely. course, would be the big factor in Kevin Nash dethroning Goldberg of the WCW Championship and ending his 173 match winning streak by taking a cattle prod and jabbing it into Goldberg. Disguised as a security guard, may I add, as well, Paul Plus. How are we gonna defeat the undefeated? We're gonna tase the hell out of him. <laughs> hey, if it gets results, it gets results. <laughs> In the words of Todd Howard, it just works. It just works. Please would... don't talk about Todd Howard on my podcast, I refuse. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't get me stopped. We, we, there is enough... There are enough sidebars on this bloody podcast for me to spew my feelings on Todd <laughs> Howard. Let's move right along on that one. <laughs> so, he would eventually have a brief stint joining NWO 2000, but because of his, his the constant uh, problems that would suffer from his uh, from uh, from the issues that he would suffer from, he was subsequently let go in February of 2000 from WCW. This, though, brings us to a really interesting time in Scott Hall's career. Now, if you've seen it around in the internet, you'll know that Scott Hall made two appearances for ECW. Uh, I believe he, at that time, he was coming to the ring to the Fugees as well. Yes, if uh, I think a match that he had with Big Sally Graziano of the FBI, uh, that match, came out to a monstrous pop <laughs> to, to the crowd. Because most people weren't expecting it, of course. And it's freaking Scott Hall. Come on. Could you just imagine, though, just being at, like... I don't even know what the modern equivalent would be, but, like, if you were just at, like... A ran like, just a random show for, like, a, a fairly decently sized company, and then just, like, one of the major wrestlers of, like, a couple years ago just appeared with no announcement. <laughs> By the way, I can't... I feel like he reached peak coolness i don't like into with that entrance coming out to yeah. ready or not as like sc like full-on scott hall with the swag that is just him peak peak coolness if you ask me <laughs> right now granted he lost to sally graziano but I, I digress that entrance is is still freaking cool if you ask me <laughs> I highly recommend going and watching it just because purely for that pop. The crowd over Sal Graziano. I know he put he put over Sally Graziano and Just Incredible and Rhino. Wow. Fun, fun fact: it was actually his friendship with Justin that actually got him the gig to work those two house shows in ECW. I was just I was just about to ask how much he got paid for it. <laughs> And there was one person in particular who did not want him there, and as a matter of fact, nearly beat the shit out of Scott Hall, and that was Shane Douglas. Oh. <laughs> of course, Shane Douglas's 
hatred for the click is very well known. <laughs> after they shift, well, after they shafted him of the IC title and his job oh. in the WWF. You know what? That's justified. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, though, Hall would enter return to New Japan during this time, joining the Team 2000 stable, many, of course, led by Masachono. Yeah, get back in there. Uh, primarily teaming with Hiroshi Tenzan, Satoshi Kojima, Scott Norton, and a couple of other stable mates during his time in a series I of tag matches and six being... mans. I can only imagine being a wrestler and then seeing you're coming up against Hiroyoshi Tenzan and Scott Hall. <laughs> would, you, would you believe his last match for New Japan was in a losing effort against All Japan Triple Crown Champion Keiji Muto? That sounds like... Someone losing to Keiji Muto? Oh my god, I can't believe that would ever happen. I still love the fact, if you look for, for Team 2000, I love who was in that? Who was in that group? I've gone over it before, of course. It still makes me laugh that in that the members of the group you had Scott Hall, and the Great Carly at one point. Now that's based. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time. At the same time. Oh, at yeah. one point. <laughs> what? Now, he would not be long for New Japan after rumours started bubbling that Vince McMahon wanted to bring Hall and... No, sorry, Hogan and Nash, I should say, in into the company. Now, the original intention was for Hall... Uh, sorry, Nash and Hogan to form a super stable of some sorts, forming it with Shawn Michaels and Triple H, of all people. Um, Vince's intention was to still have the same thing of I'm going to inject the WWF with a lethal dose of poison. But I love that. I love that. I love that I promo that so, so much. much. So, so many inject the poison. What? What is going on? It is. It is. It is inspired. Requires what? If I, but it is inspiration. I love that. I do. I love it, it, is, it so much. It is the it is the greatest adaptation of Doctor Frankenstein ever put on film. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the original intention. It was never going to be the NWO because if you know Vince during this time and well subsequently even before, well way until he retired, he didn't want to have anything that he didn't create. Yes. And so it was Nash who actually. Um, uh, petitioned and begged, in a sense, to have Hall come in. And thus, with Hogan, Hall and Nash re-signing to the company, it seemed like a no-brainer to bring in the original lineup of the NWO. Of course, of course, we've talked about, you know, ah, that kid, the WWF has cancer and I've got to inject. The poison be revealed, of course, the NWO, and they would make their return at the 2002 No Way Out pay-per-view, which, of course, I feel is like an inspired piece of booking. The NWO yeah. returning at NWO. <laughs> See, but the problem is, though, is that that's great, but I know no one at the company thought about that. <laughs> exactly. And, of course, what, sh what, what are these guys going to do? Are they going to be the cool heels that they once were being the absolute talk of the company that they were in WCW. Are they going to reach those heights? 
once more. Nah. Nah, not really. Unfortunately, that never did happen. See, the original intention for the NWO storyline was to have Hogan face Austin at WrestleMania and to have Hall and Nash in a tag team match, I believe, against The Rock. And I want to say Kurt Angle, but I can't be 100% sure on that. And that was the original intention from what I've heard. But Austin didn't want to do business with Hogan because we're, we're both two old people and it wouldn't live up to the hype. Now, Hogan would do it anyway if he got paid enough money. Remember, Austin was 37 at this point as well. And of course, pretty much being held up by gaffer tape at this point. That's also true. Yeah, zip ties, tapes, <laughs> staples. Of course, this would of course lead to Austin <clears throat> absolutely going after the NWO and then ending up having a match against Scott Hall at WrestleMania 18. My love, oh, I love the yeah. build up to this match so much because of the, the feud of this one because Austin would always get the one up on the NWO. He actually ended up at, on a SmackDown kidnapping Scott Hall. I was going to say, this is the one, this is the bit where he kidnaps uh, Scott Hall. <laughs> yes, and, and Gaffer takes his mouth shut, ties him to a chair, and just starts for some reason, like, just playing with his hair. Like, oh, you go, is that ponytail supposed to intimidate me? What about those three little words on your shirt? The NW, are those supposed to intimidate and threaten me? Well, it doesn't. What? <laughs> Of course, we oh get God. the match that we had at WrestleMania 18, and of course, the greatest selling stunner in in human history. Oh, it is magical. <laughs> what I do like is the one that was in the Go Home SmackDown, where he actually stunned Scott Hall. But the fact that he did the exact same sell, but Scott Hall's gold chain fell into his mouth as he, when he hit the floor. <laughs> I love it so much. And of course, Hall loses uh, at WrestleMania. Hall and Nash turn on Hogan. The NWO gains Booker T, Big Show, fucking X Pac, uh, Michaels, Shawn Michaels. <laughs> Hall suddenly and unceremoniously leaves, uh, is fired from the company due to the plane ride from hell um debacle that happened i'm not gonna go Don't over the plane ride of hell because that is a harrowing tale i know we only like it up until the dark side of the ring episode we only knew subsequent details of it here and there of course it was in we all knew about the the mr perfect brock lesnar wrestling match they had at yeah. one point hayes we knew his about ponytail. rick flair not wearing anything but the true harrowing tale of what happened there made me realize, fucking hell, that was that must have been fucking horrible for the flight attendants to have to deal with that. Didn't they oh. get into the cockpit like too? They almost did, yeah. yeah. It's fucking fucking nuts. hell. Uh, because of Hall's intoxicated manner and what he did when they got down. Uh, got back to America from that flight. He was subsequently fired um, from the company. Um, and, well, honestly, I think after what he did um, and his substance abuse issues at that time leading to that, I can't say that I blame them for doing that. I can't understand oh, why they didn't subsequently fire Flair, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, but that, that's the... Uh... 
That's gonna say, I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna be like Tommy Dreamer and fucking defend the bastard, but I don't <laughs> Tommy Dreamer moment. Uh this of course leads us to the final years of Scott Hall's career. He would end up debuting for TNA in the very first pay-per-view show, where he would end up debuting arguably his greatest theme of all time, Marvelous Me. Don't at me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he would end up being in a feud, subsequent feud over the next few pay-per-views with Jeff Jarrett for the TNA or the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. He would end up actually ending up having a match against Ron Killings, uh, the champion at the time, but would subsequently lose that match. And on and off again, he would make subsequent appearances for TNA. He would return in 2004 for Victory Road alongside Kevin Nash. Of course, they would end up becoming known as the Kings of Wrestling <laughs> with Jeff Jarrett. The other Kings of Wrestling. <laughs> And of course, oh my lord! Oh god, he would end up being the mystery part, would which sort of kind of be alluded to as Sting's mystery partner at Genesis. Of course, that ended up being Booker T, and have a couple of uh, a couple of appearances here and there. Of course, Hall's appearances in 2007 also, when he no-showed a pay-per-view, garnered that promo shoot promo from Samoa Joe, which subsequently had yeah. Kevin Nash punching Samoa Joe backstage. That's a big fucking dude to just throw hands with. Exactly. exactly. Again, there is no situation in the world where even if I was at my most angry, would I ever start randomly throwing hands on a Samoan dude? Exactly. I, I couldn't. <laughs> he would end up uh, returning here and there in 2007 he was part of ICP's entourage when they were in the oh, crowd oh yeah they just keep coming back don't they <laughs> fun fact about ICP he would actually Hall would be a regular staple for Juggalo Championship Wrestling during 2007 and 2009 as a matter of fact he would end up making his debut at the very first Bloody Mania in 2007 and apparently from all intents and purposes was treated incredibly well by Violent J and Shaggy 2 Dope. As a matter of fact, I'm sure. pay, apparently, from what I've heard, paid extremely well <laughs> as well. But Again, I have to stress to people that uh, there was a time in independent wrestling where Juggalo Championship Wrestling was the only company that was one of the few companies that would actually guarantee that wrestlers got paid. <laughs> It's nuts. <laughs> I don't know why do Violent J and Shaggy Two don't keep coming up in my life. Because they know love why. wrestling. I was gonna say like since you're not, since you're even, here, Matty. It's not even stupid. It's not even stupid. <laughs> they just love wrestling. Since you're here, Matty, what are your views and opinions on ICP? <laughs> oh, uh, the music. They're hit and miss for me, <laughs> but Violent J is actually a pretty legit dude. Like he's pretty cool. Uh, mm. He's a genuine dude. Uh, other than that, I fucking find it absolutely hilarious that they even got into the wrestling business. Same. They they were part of two of the worst wrestling video games I've ever played that <laughs> don't include Backstage Assault. <laughs> And Sorry. yeah, no. So when it, if you if if my opinions come down to ICP, let's go straight fifty fifty. <laughs> I think it's pretty much the same for us. Maybe kind of like seventy thirty, maybe. <laughs> Depending on who you talk to. How drunk I am. 
Though, of course, we get into the later career, of course, of Scott Hall. During his, um, during this time, Hall was, Hall's health was deteriorating in a rapid pace. And legal issues, divorces, all were weighing up on Hall. Uh, I remember one event, indie event he attended, where he looked old and frail. And was barely being... He, he had to be kind of carried by two people into the ring. At no point did the promoter or the booker decide, you know what, we're not actually going to take him out there. Yeah, but this is wrestling. Exactly. And so, thank goodness, in around 2012, 2013, DDP came back into his life. And wanted to change him for the better. Get off the problems. Do the yoga. As a matter of fact, he ended up starting a GoFundMe for Hall's hip replacement, which ended up, I think, going over six times the amount that uh, that DDP was asking for. God damn! Turning his life around, getting clean off of the alcohol, getting healthy, getting back slowly and subsequently back into the business. Saw him have an induction into the Hall of Fame in 2014 as Razor Ramon. Um, of course, at WrestleMania 31 with the old bat with the band back together as the nwo assisting in sting's match against uh triple h <laughs> which again don't make any don't make a lick of sense when you really think about it <laughs> don't worry about it <laughs> he ended up also fun fun fact becoming the ddt iron man heavy metal weight champion of course where he defeated chuck taylor but forfeiting the title at the same time after the <laughs> After being tricked into writing and signing a paper that said, I give up. <laughs> and of course, would end up making subsequent appearances here and there for the WWE. As part of the, as part of the NWO. Um, and as, as Razor Ramon during anniversary episodes of Monday Night Raw. WrestleMania appearances. Raw reunion shows. All of that good stuff. The induction, of course, in 2020... For the NWO was halted to 2021 because of the of the COVID-19 pandemic. But Hall is known as a two-time Hall of Famer because of that. Unfortunately, this leads us to the final part of Hall's career or Hall's life in 2020. 2022. Um early in March of 2022, Hall was hospitalized after falling and breaking his surgically repaired hip and was on the floor for uh, various reports vary but four to five days was on the floor um it was only discovered um uh due to a wellness check that was carried out uh, by the police after ddp called them uh, ddp was there right at the moment took him to hospital um and after the hip replacement surgery, which apparently was a success, a blood clot was ended up being dislodged and ended up with Hall suffering from three heart attacks during that time. Um, and unfortunately, Hall would then be put on life support and eventually would pass away on March the 14th. It's a really shame. It's a big shame about this one because during this time, um, it had been found out. It had been it had been heard that Hall had unfortunately relapsed um, into his uh, into his substance abuse problems um, as a resulting uh, as a result from the pandemic and the ensuing uh, lockdowns. 
um, and unable to have any sort of social interaction with his family, his kids, or his friends for that matter. Um, it just sucks. Like I, I, I hate noting this. Like going to, to all of this because it just, it just sucks that it, it that it had to, it had to end like this. And for such a legendary career, it just, it was a shame that it was just all of this kind of he didn't. He, he had to go the way he did. Um, and of course, a lot of people bring up, of course, the substance abuse issues. I didn't want to bring it up, of course, as everyone knows, early in his in his life when he was working as a bouncer, he ended up, um, in, in his words, in self-defense, being able to uh, um, subdue an attacker, grab his gun off him, and in self-defense, shoot him, which ended up um, having the, uh, the, pers the attacker passing away from that. And a lot of people said that Hall never really recovered from that. And st and that's what led him down the road of the substance abuse issues. I just, for this, it just sucks because it's just like, after Hall had done everything he could and looked like he was, he was on the mend as well and looked better than ever, just to end it like this just sucks. Yeah, It is yeah. very sad. And I think the whole world, when we heard was very much in unison of like here's a legend of the industry yeah and gone way too soon and especially when he had everything kind of sorted and looked like it was it's like the jake, jake roberts thing we were so happy to see him actually on the mend yeah just just sucks man Everyone I mean, was yeah. really happy to see him on the right track. Yeah, us. like everyone popped down. That's kind of what's interesting about it. Yeah, wrestlers, fans, like like lapsed fans, people who hadn't watched wrestling in a very long time. There are a lot of people that like, Razor Ramon's part, oh, that sucks. Razor Ramon's gone. There was a lot of people that were kind of like oh, really yeah. upset that, that Scott had passed away. But... Well, the NWO were such big pop, like pop culture icons in the '90s, that his passing in the two in the you know the 2020s, mm. that's not that far off. So many people that are in the industry of media and stuff were like, "Wow, yeah, that that hits a lot of people." Exactly, exactly. Um, I want to end this on a good note. The legacy of Scott Hall is one of probably. God, one of the one of the most charismatic, entertaining, or just gifted wrestlers that I think every that has ever stepped in the WWF ring. A man who like people talk about Roddy Piper being should have been world champion. Razor Ramon should have been world champion at one point. Absolutely, one hundred percent. What an oversight, right? Mm. Oh yeah. The fact that Vince could have looked at him and went, nah, you're where I see you at for the next couple of years is insane. Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy. And the fact that he has had such a cultural impact on a lot of facets of media is you can't understate that. Like, the amount of rappers, the amount of musicians, um... Graphic Bro, how designers. many people do the bad guy slide? Exactly. Okay, all right. But can I, but can I just be here and say, right, because I have to address this anytime we talk about Scott Hall. Have you guys seen that picture of Scott Hall just, like, chilling out in the neighborhood? Yes. 
It's yeah. like the most iconic image of all time. It's like his his influence on just not just on the on the wider wrestling world, but the bubbles outside of that can't go understated. The guy's a cultural icon. Mm-hmm. And that's a very you can have all the world championships in the world, but that's a very hard thing to come by. Hogan's been trying it for fucking decades at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but at least Scott Hall didn't have to do Santa with muscle. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's, for, it's for the better, all right? <laughs> so honestly, I like, if that's my last words, I mean, I'll let you guys have the last few words and what you kind of think, what the influence Scott Hall has had on the industry and the wider kind of landscape. Well, we certainly look at toothpicks very differently. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's for one thing. Can I just say, like, how throwing it, like, because he used to do the thing where he'd, like, throw toothpicks at people's eyes, which is, like, wow. Wow, my guy. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Jesus. But that, nah, just... If, if for nothing else, he gave us the bottom ladder match, so his, his, his legacy is assured, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like... I, cemented. I cemented. Honestly, for me, it's like, who is this guy? He gave you, he's the reason why the Dudley boys exist. Ah, so he's great. <laughs> That's yeah, basically you know, you it. Know, the Hardy Perfect. boys, Edge and Christian, the Dudleys, yeah. Without him, they wouldn't have had their template. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, any kind of like final sentences or words, guys? Anything spring to mind? I mean, honestly, it's just, you know, when we look at the icons of this industry, less so more than, like, you know, those people who have won the titles and those people that have won, you know, done certain things, hold certain records. At if I've got any... Oh, sorry. At any time, regardless of that whole thing, we, we're going to come back to him. We're exactly. always going to come back to him. We're yeah. always going to look at his body of work. We're always going to look at him as a wrestler, as a character, as everything. For sure. For uh, sure. The last things I could say about that would be the last words from his Hall of Fame speech. Bad times don't last, but bad guys do. Scott Hall, without him, we would have... A lot of the bad guys, like now probably pattern what they did after scott hall yeah you know like the the modern cool bad guy that was started with scott yeah. hall dang right and that's a perfect way you asked me to end this episode before we head off though i just want to say massive thank you matty for joining us on this one it's been an absolute pleasure of having you on my guy thank you so much it really do I really oh, thank do you guys for having it. me so uh, if there's anything that you have coming up, social medias, things like that other thing to advertise yourself, now's the time to do it. Plug away, sir. Uh, uh, no worries. Uh, well, this is going to come out after the fact, so just go to <laughs> WrestleBuddy and go watch uh, Survivor Buddy Qu uh, War Games. <laughs> I'm attempting a War Games quiz show, so this should be fun. Oh, gosh. Um, War Games! Yeah. War Games! Um, War Games! 
You can find me on Twitter and Hive for some reason because everybody jumped to Hive last week. Um, you can find me on both platforms at Maddie Laws. Um, yeah, and I'll just send myself off the same way I do everywhere else. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay hydrated. Good man, good man. I like it. I like it. Alrighty, next week's episode. We'll get to it. I, I promise you, we'll have something figured out because, yeah, we'll keep it. I'll say, I'll say for now, we'll keep it a mystery. <laughs> Apologies, yeah. everyone. Hell yeah. End of the words of Kurt Angle. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! So, until next time, I have been Sam. This has been Dan, Reardon, and Matty. And we will see you, as always, on the next one. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.